Good morning. Many of you know that I teach part-time at a local elementary school, and this year I'm teaching music. When you're a teacher, part of your responsibilities are to do regular earthquake drills. These aren't the most exciting thing, I'll be honest, but they're very necessary. They're needed, and they can be stressful, especially for young children. I mean, there's so many questions they have. You need to answer them. Then you have to, like, take cover. You're bawling up like a turtle under something, if possible. You're covering your head and neck with your arms. And if the administration gets really creative, they pipe in fake earthquake sounds over the PA. I mean, it just adds to the stress, right? And then you have to, when you take cover, you have to count all together. One, two three, all the way up to 60. And then you have to go back and do it again. One, two, three, up to 60. And while you count, you're waiting. You're waiting. You're longing to hear that voice over the PA system, all clear. And then you can finish the drill. I've titled this message, when God whispers, when God whispers. Today we're going to look at a story from 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. We're going to look at the prophet Elijah. But this is not a drill. These are real life events that are difficult. There's problems, there's conflict, desperate times. Let me set up the backstory. Let me explain what the prophet Elijah is dealing with. There's an evil king ruling Israel, Ahab. He's nasty. He did more evil than any king that had gone before him. Downright wicked. And his wife, Jezebel, if anything, she's even more nasty, more evil more wicked. She's killing off the prophets of the Lord. She's hunting them down. And the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they eat at Jezebel's table. And there hasn't been rain in the land for a long time. Three and a half years, according to the book of James in the New Testament, God is not pleased with Ahab and Jezebel. He is withholding rain. Remember how it was just this past summer? When we went without rain for a much shorter period of time. So this is the situation Elijah is in. It's dangerous. It's desperate. And God sends Elijah to confront Ahab. Showdown on Mount Carmel. In this corner, we have many prophets of Baal. Several hundred. And in this corner, we have, oh, one. One prophet. One prophet, Elijah. The last of the Lord's prophets. And Elijah sets up a challenge. But it's not going to be prophet against prophets. 
it's going to be false God against living God. Baal versus Yahweh. Who will answer by fire? Baal or Yahweh? So the prophets of Baal go first. They build an altar. They cry out to their god, Baal, to send fire and consume the sacrifice. They cry out from morning to noon, but nothing happens. And then Elijah gets downright sarcastic. Like, is a prophet of God even allowed to do this? It's like he's teasing them. Poor widow Baal. Maybe he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe little Baal is having a nap. He's sweeping. Why don't you try shouting louder? And the prophets of Baal do. They shout louder and they cut themselves. There's blood everywhere. Still, no answer. Nothing. And Elijah says, all right, enough of this. It's our turn. And he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. Twelve stones, one for each tribe. God had spoken to these tribes. God had given them a name, Israel. So Elijah rebuilds the altar. And then he does something very different. He digs a trench around the altar. And yes, he does put wood and sacrifice on the altar. But then he asks for water. Water? I mean, water and fire don't mix. But Elijah asks for a bunch of water to be dumped on the sacrifice. And then he asked for more water to be dumped on the sacrifice. And then again, like, okay, okay, you made your point, Elijah. Even if you have a fire starter kit up your sleeve, there's no way this should catch fire. But Elijah prays to the Lord, to Yahweh. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Yahweh is God in Israel. And Elijah says, I am your servant, and I've done these things at your command. And Yahweh answers with fire. All-consuming fire. Fire that burns up sacrifice, wood, stones, even the water in the trench. Wow. And all the people fall on their faces and cry out, Yahweh, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And the prophets of Baal are killed. There is victory. Whew, I'm glad that's over. I mean, everything's settled, right? Everything's as it should be. I mean, you might think that after that kind of victory, like everything would be fixed. God's answered with fire, right? So, like, surely now 
everything will be made right. All the problems will be solved. The desperate times are over. Everything's going to turn around for the better. I mean, surely now the heavens will open and pour rain. The evil king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, will be defeated. And Elijah will be carried off in victory. Maybe in a fiery chariot, just for extra emphasis. Wait a sec. No, no, that's not how the story goes. But God is answered with fire. Why are there still problems? Why are there still crushing obstacles? Why hasn't God fixed everything? Rain indeed comes, but not right away. Not right away. Elijah prays, and seven times he sends his servant to check the sky. Are we that persistent? Are we persistent in prayer? Or does our confidence waver when it seems at first like there's no answer? Then rain comes. God speaks, the sky grows black, filling with clouds, wind, and thick, heavy rain. The drought is over. So surely now, everything's good. Surely now, everything will be made right. Nope, absolutely not. It's like when you stir up a hornet's nest with a stick, and out they come. Jezebel is out for Elijah's blood, just like you killed the prophets of Baal. I'm going to kill you. And this isn't an idle threat. Jezebel's powerful, and Elijah's afraid, and he runs for his life. Can you blame him? And he goes into the wilderness, alone, exhausted, worn out, dead, tired. Literally, he wants to die. Take my life, Lord. I've had enough. Can we relate? Those moments in life, those seasons of extreme distress, of ongoing discouragement, maybe you're in one now. You're waiting for God to speak, waiting for God to act, to heal, to restore that broken relationship, to lift the blackness of depression. I've had enough. It can seem like God isn't there. Like there's no point. The fire of Mount Carmel is only a distant memory. The blessing of rain seems to have vanished. The reality is harsh, barren wilderness. The struggle of life meaningless, 
meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can God reach us here in the wilderness, in the darkness, in the emptiness, in that place where we have no hope, no joy, no life? Yes. Yes, God speaks in the wilderness. God fills the emptiness. God's light shines in the darkness. God's love reaches out to us in the middle of the struggle, in those moments where things seem meaningless. God brings meaning. God brings life. And we see how God provides. We see how God speaks to Elijah in the wilderness, in the midst of discouragement, disillusionment, despair. God speaks life. God speaks life to you. Elijah is comforted. Get up and eat. And God provides bread and water. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. God understands. God understands when the journey is too much for us. God calls to us, get up and eat. Eat from the bread of life. And strengthened by that food and water, Elijah gets up and travels to another mountain, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. On Mount Horeb, there's a different kind of encounter. On Mount Carmel, everyone was there. The people, the prophets of Baal, Elijah, the Lord... On Mount Horeb, there are only two, Elijah and the Lord. No one else, just Elijah and the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Elijah is going to experience the presence of the Lord. What will it be like to encounter God. And a great, powerful wind comes. It tears the mountains apart, shatters the rocks. But God's not in the wind. After the wind, there's an earthquake, deafening, earth-shaking, bone-jarring earthquake. But God's not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there's a fire. Surely God's in the fire. Like on Mount Carmel, the fire that consumes sacrifice, altar, and water. But God's not in the fire. He's not in the wind. 
He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. Where is God? Where? Then God whispers. He gently whispers. God speaks. You see, sometimes, maybe most times, we expect God to answer on our terms, in our time frame, in the way we think God should act. We expect the wind. We look for the earthquake. We demand the fire, the all-consuming fire. But sometimes God has other plans. Sometimes God whispers. God whispers. If we could only slow down long enough, quiet our racing minds, allow our heart to beat in time with God's heart, to listen for God to speak in His time and in His own way, to hear the whisper, to hear the whisper of God. About 2,000 years ago, God spoke in a very distinct way, a way that was different, radical, a way that caught most by surprise. Not everyone believed a way that's not what we would expect. God came to earth, but he didn't come in a great wind or a ground-shaking earthquake. He came as a baby. God spoke. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. But imagine God coming to earth as a baby, growing up and dying on a cross. It's not what you would expect God to do. Why would God allow himself to be tortured, to suffer a physically, mentally, emotionally agonizing death on a Roman cross? Love. Love for you. Love for me. God's love. And like the story of Jesus and Elijah's story, we shouldn't be surprised when God does things in unexpected ways. We should actually be looking for it. We should be prepared, ready, expect the unexpected. Yes, sometimes it is fire, but often it's a whisper, the whisper of God, the whisper that is stronger than the shouts of the loudest enemy, the whisper that is more than enough to rescue, to deliver, 
to take us from where we are to where God wants us to be. The whisper of God. Be listening for it. Be listening. I'll invite the music team to come up. Let's stand and pray together. Father in heaven, teach us, teach us, Father. Teach us how to recognize your voice, your whisper, your gentle, kind, compassionate whisper calling us. Teach us to be still, to know, to know that you are God. Father, continue to draw us closer and closer to Jesus, to invite Jesus into our life, to choose to follow Jesus. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come into my life today. Amen.